For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. Okay, we've already got a couple of people on the lines here. Um, I want you want to weigh in on this debate, and there's so much reaction also on my social media page. I don't know where where to start. Let me start on the line. Let's go to Million, the greatest. Million, good evening. Thanks for speaking to us on SAFM. Good evening, Tabiso. How are you, my man? We're fine, thanks. I actually saw you because I follow you on Twitter. You were tweeting over the weekend. What did you make of what we saw over the weekend? Kulega, uh, <laughs> 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 kulega. You see, uh, football back then, uh, it was about entertainment. Entertainment the fans. Mm. Yes, but... Uh, Right, right now, the football is about winning and all that. But you know me, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of supporting and all that. Mm. But what I, well, the chief game against Vets, uh, Vets were the most organized team when I watched that game. More than the Chiefs of Zaza and Asun Soleng. <laughs> yes, they were organized. They were playing, they were passing the ball, uh, playing organized football. Chiefs were just playing for the fans, actually. There was nothing, even their passes. Uh, uh, I think I've counted not more than two passes that they went to Kevin's of uh, teammates. But if you if you watched that, they were more organized than Chiefs. So were you impressed or not, Million? Uh, I, I was impressed with the... Let, let, let me put it this way. I, I think um, I was impressed with the white guys because they were organized. Okay, that was a popular comment on social media. Okay, we'll take that from uh, a million there. I don't know if he's on the fence or not, but he was impressed by Vets more than the Kaiser Chiefs that we used to hear of. And I got to say, I watched that Vets coach by Eddie Lewis. Those guys were structured. Those guys looked really, really organized. James, uh, good evening from Joburg. Thank you for calling us. Evening, Chaviso. What's your view here, James? Look, I watched the Devin Bushbacks on the Pirates game. And then I can tell you that those, those guys were so technically gifted that comparing them to the current crop of players is, is, is an offense on its own. This weekend, this ABC made our weekend the greatest one. We, 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 you know, I felt, I wish I could have been born then and watched all that soccer. The friends, our fathers used to be spoiled big time. I mean, I watched, I don't believe... There's anyone as great as Botoso Makanya. I watched his dribbling. I mean, it was like seeing Ronaldinho or someone like that. Someone who dribbles with the intention to be the defender and provide for his teammate to score. That was great. They lost the match because Pushbacks was a better side on the day. Okay, thanks for that, uh, James. Uh, James was impressed. He says they were technically gifted. Uh, Pototo Makanya stood out for him. Even for me, Pototo Makanya uh, looked like the star in, in that Pirates team there. Where do we go now? Uh, we go to Molochade Kanyako. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Tavisho. Hey, Trumpies. Hey, Tara. Yes, is that you? Yes, uh, good evening to you and uh, the listeners. Were you impressed or regularly going at? Ah, my man, football back then was great. I was very much impressed. We, we let the people not judge uh, those guys uh, in one game because there were other games that were very, very, very good. I, I can tell you uh, there was a competition between uh, the then striker Moren Kulu, Samora Kulu and the uh, Whitbank Aces goalkeeper. 
Remember, mm. they, we know Cyprus Maimane didn't want the Samara Kulu to score against him, and Samara Kulu didn't want to end the game without scoring. So there was a lot of good competition there. I, I, I'm, I'm urging the guys uh, to, to, to remain calm. <laughs> Watch uh, the, the coming game. But that goalkeeper, no, but Trump is that goalkeeper of Kaiser Chiefs we saw. Uh, was it Kanyeza? Kanyeza. Oh, <laughs> you let the ball go through his hands. And he was substituted. <laughs> <laughs> no, it happens to, to, to uh, most of the most keepers worldwide. They, 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 they are holding a uh, lot of balls. So we can't blame him. Uh, it was in the heat of the moment. Okay, thanks, Trumpies. You're saying that people must wait for more games. You can't judge yes. them on, on more games. For me, what was even fascinating was how goalkeepers were allowed to catch the ball from a back pass. <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually kick the ball back from anywhere on the field of play, and then you kick it back to your goalkeeper, and then the goalkeeper can just hold the ball, and he can just handle the, handle the ball. Can challenge it. Oh, let's go to the voice note before I go to you, Tando. We've got a voice note that's come through on 0614104107. Good evening, Mr. Msia. <coughs> Thanks for letting me know that weekend on Saturday. I watched that game. I think I was more than impressed by the number of white people who were involved in the game during the time. And the number six of Vets University and the whole team, including Taj Mkwebo. And uh, that game, uh, Mr. Msia, was six years old. Uh, <laughs> during the time so I did enjoy one so I think uh, we need those kind of game games from SAB so I think it was one of the great games and uh, the fitness of the players as well I think it was very interesting watching Jan Malombo Lichava and uh, many 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 great players from Kaiser Chiefs and uh, I really appreciated that uh, Mr. Msia from Maxwell in Pretoria Thanks, thanks for that, Maxwell. I'm glad you mentioned Malolombo because um, he was playing as a left wing in that game. Ne? I think he was a left winger in that game. And I didn't see a lot of Malombo in that game. From what I've heard about him over the years. Let's go to Tando Zulu in line four. Tando, good evening. Good evening, uh, Tabiso and your listeners. How are you? Fine, thanks, Tando. People are comparing uh, football uh, from back in the day to football uh, to these days. Is that is that even fair? No, I think... Uh it's it's obviously not fair. We have to realize uh, the process or how football has changed, you know. But it's always good. Uh, SABC did us a, a very huge favor. I think people are screaming out for such things, yes. for, you know, to be played because it's good. Uh, I think <clears throat> some of us who grew up in in, in an era where we're, where we're too small to even remember some of these players, so it's good to... To, to be in touch with uh, it's almost like getting a history lesson. Mm. Uh, but but to compare to compare the game back then, you know we we I think we have to appreciate what used to happen back then. We can I, I think it can also spark a lot of obviously questions as it has with the listeners coming in, and uh, which is good. But football has changed so much that if you look at some of those players as well, we have to remember that uh, they were part-time players, you know, they were not full-time professionals as in we'd, we'd have now. Yes, the question obviously now is why aren't our footballers, uh, you know, playing as well as those guys? Um, which obviously we need to ask those footballers now. <laughs> but I think we have to look at also uh, the value of, uh, of factors like time and space. If you look at those games, how much time and space those players had. So our football hadn't, uh, developed so much uh, like like what we're seeing it today and the pace of the game in some moments you know that's why I say we have to appreciate the entertainment value uh, 
Okay. You know, um, and 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 basically look back and be educated and pose the question of you know sometimes in our football now, why can't certain moments happen? You know, I think it's also because you the, the game has been commercialized now, so you can't run away from that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you touched on something very important on the goalkeeper. You know, we have to appreciate that with the development of the game, yeah. there's uh, there's a, a, a goalkeeper, you know, coach now, which can develop uh-huh. those skills, which are very important to, you even touched on something of a back pass. The yeah. game has developed so much that the rules have allowed for for, for, for the game to be more fluid, more and keepers now have And keepers now have gloves. Then they were just... Uh, using their bare hands to catch the ball. Uh, so much reaction here. Uh, Danny DC says, no way this is overrated. These guys were magical. I never knew Eskusa was such a maestro. And uh, Lipita Murifi says, the type of football was more offensive. They were willing to die on the field for each other. Nowadays, they are not like turning back when confronted by the opposition. Yesterday's football, <coughs> yesterday's football was forever flowing. And on Twitter, yo, I can't keep up with the reaction. I hope I can get this all in a minute. Um, Sesh says um, back then it was all about the talent of the players and hard work with good management now it's all about the mind of the coach and less of more about the talent of the players good point I agree with you there was a lot of individual talent there but the structure I uh, Alpha says uh, the right question will be if you take the best PSL player today and put him in the 80s what would he look like taking him to some to some stadiums low salaries uh, apartheid no backroom staff have you seen how big sundowns one is somebody said over the weekend that Kuna was the only player that could fit into that team uh, from Chiefs uh, in the in in the 80s. Uh, Raizani says modern players are ahead technically because of an advancement in sports science. It's unfair to comment, but respect the legend. God, they mustn't spice up their history. Nabo and Tinyiko disagrees with the critics. He says the game back then was at a level higher than now. Those guys had the most with minimal resources. Those guys didn't even have shin pads. They played a full game without shin pads. Anyway, we'll speak to Brad TK after the break. Hashtag SAFM Sport On. Okay, you can still keep your voice notes coming, uh, even though we're going to speak to Bratike Konaite after this break. But Well, now, r- rather. But let me take this last one, Bratike. Oh, okay, we're going to go to it later. Let's welcome Bratike. Uh, we want to talk about the state and art of football reporting in the country. We've done... Um, Two shows before about this, there have been different views that have come uh, that have come through, especially the arrival of social media. It seems to have changed the game. But one man who's still going strong after all these years is a veteran football journalist, the Hall of Famer himself, uh, Thomas Konaite, who joins us on the line now. Pratike, good evening, sir. Thank you very much for being able to speak to us on SAFM tonight. Good evening, Tabzo, and uh, to your listeners. Before we pick that minefield that is that that, that brain of yours, TK Quinite, let's get your thoughts here. We've just done a quick survey about watching some retro games on SABC. Some say the legends of the 70s and 80s uh, maybe were a little bit overrated and would struggle to play today. What's your take here? No, I, I totally disagree. Perhaps because I was also from that era, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I think I think Tabiso, um, you've got to admit that the the quality during that time was 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 unmatched. I mean, uh, the late Pulen Zuleng with Jan Lechava, teenage Laja um, from Kaiser Chiefs, Maria Maria Lamola, Pudle Hoko. I mean, that was a star-studded team. And what I liked about that team was the, there was structure, beside quality and skill. 
they were very, very offensive. And there was a lot of individual individual players there, and they could express themselves, but in a structured form. You you go to Vets University, the game that I watched, mm. and uh, there was Mark Morker, Richard Kellett, David Jacobs, uh, Rodney Bush, I mean, D- Dave Watterson in goals. I-, I mean, it was okay. It was an all-white team, but people are complaining that we hardly ever see white players in the current Premier League, but mm. Look at that Vets University team and look at the structure and the skills mm. that was displayed there. I mean, I mean, the quality was incredible. I think it is difficult to compare the different, the different generations, if I may put it that way. Yeah. And uh, I heard somebody saying that from the current generation at Kaiser Chiefs, only Itumel Kune could feed in mm. that old generation. You see... So it's a bit difficult and a little bit unfair because, and I, I also heard somebody saying, um, in in during that time, players were part time, which is true. Mm. They only trained for an hour in the evening because most of them were employed elsewhere. Unlike today, where players are full time professionals and they train, say two hours or three hours in the morning, and they come again in the evening to train an additional two hours. So and the sports science, you name it. So. It's 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 a bit di- for me. It's a bit difficult to really compare the generation. How good was Rodney Bush? Because he really is Rodney Bush. Because he really looked like he was a special player from that video I saw from that game I saw. He was incredible, Tabiso. And I have no doubt in my mind that if South Africa had been admitted into international football during those years, Rodney Bush would have been one of the automatic starters in the Bafana Bafana lineup. He 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 was he was way way out of that league, and some people haven't seen. Um, Neil, people think Neil Tovey's brother. I mean, Neil oh, Tovey was good. Mark Tovey, you should have seen his brother, Mark Tovey. I mean, I mean, believe me, Rodney Bush was was just something special. I very, actually, very special. I saw Mark Tovey actually in that game between Pirates and Bushbacks. He was playing as a yeah. centre-back. Ah, he was a different animal on the field of play. Is it safe then, Bratike, to say that the coaching was different then than compared to now? Yeah, the coaching was, was quite different in those days. I think today, if you look at it, you, 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 you realise that we've got physical trainers, we have goalkeeper coach, you have, uh, you have uh, special... I mean, there are special coaches everywhere. You look at the technical bench. There is there is a, a physio, there is a monsieur, there is a, a doctor and all. They never used to be there in those days. And I think you were also picking out some very, very important pointers like goalkeepers had no gloves, they wore no gloves, there were no shin pads in those days, and the back pass. I mean, it just goes to show you how much football has evolved over the years. Now, Bratike, we've called you to get your thoughts on the state of reporting. But with football firstly seemingly unlikely to return anytime soon from what we've had today, uh, do you think the associations around the world should wait a bit longer to make their decisions on the various league? Because I know people want football to come back. Or should football take a backseat until this coronavirus pandemic is tackled properly? Tabiso, let's not, let's not get sentimental or let's not get emotional and allow... Our, our emotions to cloud our judgment. The coronavirus is for real. And I think it would be better for us to wait a little bit. I mean, if we wait and do things right, for instance, here in South Africa, 
we would be moving to uh, level four from Friday. And uh, if you go back to countries like Spain and Italy, uh, Tabiso, 800 people are dying a day. And my fear, Tabiso, is that if we rush and we go back, uh, we, we go back to start playing right now, we could lose quite a lot of players. Because this virus is so contagious so that uh, and, and you know players like to cough in the field and yes. some like to spit in the field and and who knows how much that that can transmit the disease so for me until such time that health authorities deem it extremely clear definitely clear that now the coronavirus is no longer such a threat and then we can go back to playing i hear some people saying uh, Kaiser Chiefs should be just awarded the championship. I don't think it's fair. Let us wait. We still have a three-month break from May up until August. Who knows that maybe by June or July um, the virus shall be declared to have passed. There will no more be a threat. And then we can resume from there. Rather than r- rushing into getting back into playing. Yes, we miss football, all of us. You know, we do. But it is better to be cautious than to rush and lose lives. Okay, so no need to uh, get carried away or get ahead of ourselves. And there was actually a report by the FIFA Medical Committee chairman uh, today who says he does not believe that football should return until at least the 1st of September. Now, Bratike, let's talk about the state and the art of football journalism in South Africa. Firstly, how long have you been in this field of journalism for and what keeps you going even now? 39 years, Abiso. I started in 1981. <laughs> what keeps you going then? After 39 years, you're still going strong, Thomas Gwenaite. I, I, I don't know. Tabiso, maybe I should say I, I, I consider myself very fortunate to be involved in a profession, something that I love passionately. I, 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 live, I, I, love, I love journalism passionately and i'm getting paid to do something that i love i get to meet um i'm fortunate i have met in my time i've met seplata uh, i've met the great pele i've met asin i've met bob Marley. i've interviewed randy crawford so so i've traveled the world Tabi. so as it is right now through my work i'm on my 24th passport right now Ooh. And uh, and uh, and that is why I could, that is why I consider myself very fortunate, very blessed to be in a profession that allows me to meet all these people that we you know we just see on TV, and to go to all these countries that I mean some of the names I heard about them when I was doing geography in primary school, but through this 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 career I've been able to I mean to go to all these places and meet all these people that. We we used to read about who's Randy Crawford that you've you've mentioned. Randy Crawford uh, is an um, African American singer, an international oh. singer, and she she released um, a song called Imagine that was um, I think written by John Lennon, oh. and uh, it became a multi international best selling record in the world and um and uh, during this time of the lockdown you know some of the lyrics says 
imagine there's no heaven, you know. Mm. Um, imagine I just the lyrics just runs out of me. But as I said, I was fortunate to sit down with her at the Carlton Center and interview her for more than an hour. So that to me, I mean Bob Marley, Belle, the great. Yes, Belle. yes, yes, of course. Honestly, that is why I say I. I I, I, I feel I, I really feel blessed to to be traveling and meeting all these people and then getting paid as well. So so to do something that I love, I think that's what keeps me going. And how did you end up in journalism or football journalism, Thomas Kwanaiti? Because I, I, we saw that in your early working days, apparently you were a train ticket operator and you were selling pies. I became a journalist by mistake. In fact, uh, you're quite right. I was a ticket examiner. And uh, I was a shelf packer at the Menlin Hyperama here in Pretoria. And um, there was a, a knock-and-drop newspaper uh, introduced around Pretoria. And one of my former school teachers, George Mashaila, uh, kind of asked me to contribute articles to that newspaper. And after a year or so uh, contributing articles, they, of course, I loved to see my name in print. That was, But then, and, and while doing that, uh, John Mojapelo was the chief bureau of the Rand Daily Mail in Pretoria. He saw my articles and then he invited me to come and contribute articles to the Rand Daily Mail. But before that, George Masaila took me to the Pretoria News and mm. he introduced me to uh, the sport editor then, the late Kenneth Levete. And uh, I'm, you, you know what? I, I, I apologize for speaking ill of the departed. But Kenneth Levete actually said, uh, he'll never make it in journalism. Huh. I, think, I, think, I think that, to be quite honest, <coughs> I beg your pardon, to be quite honest, it, it, it hurt me that um, I have to be judged by my appearance. Mm. But what I can say, He'll never make it in journalism. So that that was what inspired me to prove to him wrong that people are not judged by their appearance, but by you know um, what you can produce, by the quality of your work and by the quality of your character. That's what you should judge people by, and not by their appearance or by their looks. So I really wanted to prove to him wrong that given a chance, given an opportunity. I can also make it in this industry. And guess what? Three years after he said, I'll never make it, I won the SAB um, a, a sports, a Black Sports Writer of the Year Award. In 83? Yes. He was, no, not in 83. Uh, I, th- I think, remember, the Rain Daily Mail closed, and then I was jobless, and then I started working for the Sunday Star. Matt Gleason mm. was, and Rodney Hartman were the people that you know, recruited me for the Sunday Star. Then three years after joining the Sunday Star, I think that was around 87, no. somewhere are, 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 are along there. The late, the very same person who said, I'll never make it as a journalist, was the first one to tell people at the Wanderers Club that I was his protege. <laughs> He's the one who actually uh, mentored me and all that. But Tabiso, I allowed him to say that. I just... Yeah. I didn't want to say to him, oh no. <laughs> he's an elderly person. You know, you can't say to an elderly person that you are lying. So I, I kept quiet, even though I guess deep down he knew that 
He never gave me the light of day. He never gave me that opportunity that was afforded to me by the likes of George uh, Mashaila, John Mojapilo, and the others. Now, after 39 years, Mr. Thomas Kwenaite, what's your mm. take of the, on the state of reporting at the moment? A lot of people are not satisfied. Look, in those days, uh, I remember uh, I attended a course at West University offered by the Boston University from the United States. Uh, and one of our lecturers was um, Agritlaste and uh, Film Timkulu. He said, um, you must always uh, follow the principles and the ethics of journalism. And that is to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And he said there are always two sides of a story. It used to be very difficult because you'll get a story and you'll try to get um, Tabiso Musia to comment about this and he'll, you know, he'll kind of uh, give you expletives and insult you with your mother's anatomy as well to, for, for that matter. It was very, very difficult, but I personally never forgot that it is fair. If, if I had a story and there was no no second opinion on the story. I would never publish Tabiso. Mm. That is why, to this day, after 39 years, I've never been required to retract a story or to, to print an apology. I know, I know, perhaps I'm beating my own drums, but that is how it used to be. Today is quite easy. You can Google information and... Uh, uh, internet is there that can assist you in kind of you know and 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 social media is there as well that kind of assist in terms of um telling stories or writing your story in those days it used to be very very difficult there were no cell phones it used to be landlines so you can imagine if you can't get a person on a landline where do you get him but we used to get it done has social media changed the game for the better or for the worse, according to you? Both ways. I think um, sometimes there is a, a minority of um, uh, our members that tend to be very lazy. They, they, they kind of cut and paste. You know, they are lazy to go and, 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 and research and check and, and make sure that the information that... It, because social media, believe me, has changed the face of journalism. And some of our print papers and magazines are on the verge of dying because of social media. It has changed the landscape and the dynamism of journalism so much that uh, uh, what happens now can actually be posted on social media. So it needs you as a journalist to go beyond what is being posted. As my late mentor, uh, Rodney Hartman, used to say that TK, you work for a weekend newspaper. So the dailies will kind of kill a story. So what you need to do, you need to tell the same story, but go, you know, tell the story behind that story. And I used to be confused, Tabiso. <laughs> but with the passing of time, I realized that you need to look for an angle that was, that was much more broader than what has been said um, during the week. So, yes, social media has been both good and bad, but more good than bad, I would say. Okay, let me just play a, a voice note or two before we go to the break. Okay. At SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. We've got another voice note for our guest, Thomas Konaite. Hey, member, 
please ask uh, TK man, about the story behind Pele's interview. I think he was still working for the SABC. Um, ask him, was he shocked that uh, he had to interview Pele at a short notice and the interview was meant uh, for some few minutes and end up going on and on and on. Please ask him to tell us the story again. I've heard it uh, before, but uh, I'm not sure. Okay, so the story of Pele, I think he's already mentioned Pele uh, Bratike, so we're going to ask him about the story of Pele. You can keep those voice notes coming on 061-4104-107. On Twitter, Trompi says Bratike is a legend. I'm glad he's made it big even after somebody looked down on him. He went for, he believed what he believed will work for him. Thanks for that, uh, Trompis. Bratike, there's a question about Pele. Is it true that you were not aware you were going to interview Pele? No, I was not aware. He was in the country, and then suddenly they brought him. I was working for, I mean, I was freelancing for the SABC do, uh, at Good Morning South Africa, and then he was ushered into the studio, unprepared, Tabi, so he was brought into the studio, and I just looked at him, and I, I trembled. I was scared, I must be honest. But knowing, at least I was fortunate in that I, I, I knew and I've read about him so I started asking him questions, and uh, and uh, my first question to him was, "Is it true that um, sex before a major game is is a big no-no?" And he said, "No, that's not true." <laughs> and okay. uh, and uh, the, the the directors they had said I must ask him three or four questions, and the interview went on for almost thirty minutes. But you had to start with the most important one. Uh, I did. TK. Good I man. Did. You I also did. did a lot of investigative journalism at the time. Was that intentional? It wasn't. So I think the, the, the interview, I mean, the, the investigation that forced me, and in fact, I was called to the union building by Madiva. And then I ended up being asked about what was going on. And it led to the Picard Commission, you know. That investigation started when my good friend, the late Phil Masinga, told me that he hasn't been paid for appearing about six or seven times for Bafana Bafana. And sometimes, sometimes when um, uh, he would come to South Africa, he would be told to get his ticket at the airport. When he got there, it hadn't been paid for and used, he would use his own money to pay. And, and I started asking the question, where is the money going to? You know, that's how they invest. But before that, I did the expose of Jeff Butler. I don't know if you remember. Is that the one that saw you had that where you had to go into hiding? No, the pick, the one about the the Picard Commission is the one that forced me to go into hiding uh, for a year or so. But I exposed Jeff Butler that he had falsified his CV and uh, many other stories that that um, that. Uh, required a lot of investigation. But the one that stands out for me, Bratike, I'm, I was still in school at that time, it was when you, you found out that, I'm not sure if it was an under-12 South African team or an under-15, <laughs> but, but, but you found was, out that one of the players was in college. Yes, it was an under-15 South African team that won, the I think, some international tournament in France during 1998. And what happened is, I was quite impressed about the captain. They interviewed the captain after the, the tournament, and he was so eloquent that 
I said, this is the future Bafana Bafana captain. Mm. You know, when, and then as, as any journalist would do, I thought I would do, and, and you, you know, a profile about this boy. And I, I was told that he, he is uh, in PE. He hails from PE. Mm. And then I was given telephone numbers. It, it turned out that it was a public telephone. Then when I asked where it was, I was told that it was the Nelson, Nelson Mandela Bay. Then it was the, the Port Elizabeth Technical. University. Hmm. You know, and I asked myself, university? And then I was told, yeah, the man you are looking for will go and call him from the rest, but he's a third-year electrical engineering student. I said, what? I mean, playing for under 15. If he's under 15, it, it means he's either 13 or 14 years old. But if he's under 15 and he's already a third-year engineering student, no, 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 it couldn't be. And when I asked him, uh, I think I asked him two or three questions, and he stopped and he, he said to me, Pratike, why are you questioning me? Why are you blaming me, me alone when... 99% of that team was loaded with overage players. Ha, ha, ha. And, and how was it addressed then? Did you uh, meet with his family? Did you speak to his family? Uh, look, uh, what happened is I was, I was taken to the press ombudsman. One of the parents of the players complained to the press ombudsman that I need to retract that story because his son is not an age cheat. This boy was from Mamelodi and... Um, so I was called to the press ombudsman, but what I did was my brother-in-law was a school principal in Mamelodi. So I went to him, I said, he must help me um, investigate this boy, Ndantam um, He was a school principal. Mm. So we went to this boy's, he knew this boy, and we went to the primary school where he did grade one. So when I, when I took his supposed age, plus the age that he said he was. I said to the press ombudsman that if, if this boy indeed claims to be the age that he is, it means he started school when he was two years old. Whoa. Is this the same story, Bratike, you once told me? I don't know, you were on a flight with a junior team going overseas, and then you were sitting behind these boys, and one of them said, I'm Fetum Nankumbuling Nosiam. No, no. What happened is it was a game that, that happened. Uh, Philippe Truzier was the, was the coach of the Japanese under-17 team. Mm. So at the end of the game, the Japanese boys had lost 9-0 to the Nigerians. So Philippe, Philippe Truzier was asked, how do you feel after losing by such a high margin? He said, no, 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 no I feel good. They said, why? He said, when I consider that my boys as under are 15 and 16 year olds but one of the nigerian players actually at the end of the game he went to his taxi and his wife and two kids so then i'm quite satisfied that <laughs> my boys my <laughs> i mean an under 17 player with a wife and two kids his wife and his taxi and his two kids and yet he's under 17. So he started early. He started his family very, very early. <laughs> Let me go to some voice notes, Bratike, before the break. Okay. Hi, Tabiso. Great show. 
ask TK to tell you about the article he wrote when Bafana Bafana was in England to play England in two, in the year 1997. Very interesting article that you wrote about Safa and the bosses there. Okay, we'll get Bratike to answer after this break. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. Okay, Bratike, do you remember that article? I remember the game at Old Trafford. Do you remember the article you wrote and what was the article about? Look, I think I was the only South African journalist uh, with Bafana Bafana that year. I think it was in 1997 and yes. the game was played at Old Trafford. 2-1 to England. That's right. So what happened is, I think, uh, Bafana Bafana players um, decided to go on strike on the eve of the match. And um, they were complaining about, uh, the, I think, their appearance fees and many other problems within the camp. And so they decided to go on strike. The English FA, I think, got wind of the fact that Bafana Bafana players have decided not to play. So what happened is, the English and that game had already been sold out. So the English FA actually decided to pay Bafana Bafana players, even though they had already paid Safa for the appearance fee uh, to honor that game. So it was it was it was quite bizarre sitting there with uh, Dumisang Gobe, Lucas Khadebe, Shuz Mushweu, uh, you know, Filmon Masinga, the late and um, Doc Kumalo, Linda Butelezi, and them, Eric Tinkler, and all of them, and then they they were very very united, and they decided that they are not going to honor the game unless their demands were met. Okay, and what about your interest and your coverage of African football, Thomas Kwenaita, because you are an African football expert. Was that intentional? Did you set out to do it? Not really. I think what happened is towards the late 1980s, I think, in fact, to be, to be quite honest, it was in 1990 when Madiba was released from prison. Mark Gleason actually said to me, TK, uh, I think before long, South Africa will be will be accepted back into the international world of football-playing nations. So it is best for you to start going around and learn about what is happening around Africa. And so clearly I couldn't travel to all these other countries, but Botswana is three hours away from South Africa. So whenever there was an international game in Botswana or Swaziland or Lesotho, I would use my own resources, I would travel there, and attend the matches. That's how I got to know about Cameroon, your Roger Millers, uh, Abedi Pele. I, I saw him before, before, you know, quite a long time ago. At least Roger Miller, we saw him during Italia 1990. But I personally saw him playing for Cameroon in Botswana. So it was quite interesting that I got to know about some of these um, African legends before South Africa actually got... By the time we were readmitted to FIFA by 1994, um, 1992, I beg your pardon, I, at least, I already, I was at least one step ahead of a lot of my peers here in South Africa. Now, there's a lot of criticism at the moment about the lack of African football reporting in South Africa, that South African football journalists care more about European football than African football. Do you, what do you make of that, of that criticism? Um, 
in, in, in a way, I think that, that criticism, I think it's justified, Tabiso, because we seem quite obsessed with uh, European football than what is happening across our own borders. And uh, it is quite sad because I think Africa has produced some of the greatest players all over the world. You talk of George Weah, um, Roger Miller, Thomas Sunkono, Joseph Antoine Bell, Peter Ndrovu, um, Adam Ndrovu, Raman Gumbo, Kalusha Bualia. You name them. I mean, Samuel Eto'o, Didier Drogba. But the others are fortunate in that they played in Europe. But what about those players that did not play in Europe but yet remain some of the greatest across the continent? So I think a little bit of a shift. Our newspapers as well are to blame because they tend, we tend to glamorize English football more than what is happening across Africa. In fact, I remember the first Bafana Bafana game out of South Africa. We went to Zimbabwe. Uh, Brasten was the coach. Stan Shavalala was the coach. And I remember he said, Hey, man. And it's now history that we lost 4-1, you know, because we, we, we had no idea. And simply because we didn't know how other African players were playing, it was like, it was like hit and miss, you know, and because we didn't know and we thought what we don't know, we will beat. We will beat them as long as we don't. They don't. They don't know how to do a shibobo or a shoe shuffle or a nutmeg or whatever. So it is Obashaya. and it turned out that we were deluding ourselves. And traveling, Bratike, you traveled a lot during your time. These days, uh, the journalists are saying that they're not traveling and it's hampering uh, their skill. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I think I was fortunate. Yes, I've traveled, and uh, it was a bit difficult in those days when you traveled and then finding your story from out of the country because you've got to you've got to ask the hotel where you are in to connect you to connect your you, you, to connect you to internet before you can send your story it was very very difficult but um uh, at the same time i think it exposed me to what is happening across the african continent to get to know about the traditions and the cultures of what is happening uh, across the continent and how people lead their day-to-day lives across the African continent and also how football is like. To get, to get to see the dressing rooms in major African countries and you compare them to, to what we have here and people are just not aware how fortunate we are about the infrastructure that we have here in South Africa. It's really bad outside there. And you can't blame them, you know. You, you really can't. You've got to experience it to appreciate what people have to go through across the continent. Sometimes you get put in a hotel. Either Peter side likes to joke that in Nigeria, they are not scared of mosquitoes. They eat mosquitoes. <laughs> you know, you, you go to a certain country and then they put you in a hotel. And some of us in the early days would say, I'm in this hotel. He need look at all that bad unaware Tabiso that what they are giving you uh-huh. is the best that they have and you can't compare it to what we have here in South Africa and, I've and got it a, humbles you we've got a that. tweet from Alfred Sine who says I remember going to football games with Pratike and my uncle he'd be surrounded by bodyguards because 
that's how tough it was. Men used to duck bullets. Yeah, I remember BBK always telling a story of how he used to go hide in KZN and ducking bullets at Thomas Gwenaite. Pratike, we're going to have to leave it there because of time, but I hope we can speak to you again. There's a lot of people want to ask you and we'll bring on other journalists also just to pick your brain. Anytime, Tabiso. Anytime. It was a pleasure, man. Thank you. But we've picked up a lot from what you said. Two sides of the story. You're saying the truth always matters. And if you don't have a source or you you, you were not comfortable with publishing the story, right? I didn't. I never did. If I was not comfortable and I didn't get the other side of the story, I, would, I never published. So people shouldn't rush to uh, breaking news, especially on social uh, media there, because I think that's where now the lines are getting bled. That's where the grey areas is. But we have to leave it there. I believe the ministers are going to speak next and SABC will take it live.